Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast, Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, and today we are joined by not one but two fantastic guests, Presidente of the Strickland, Benji Ritholtz of the Strickland and Knicks Film School, for a loaded episode, Alex, on the biggest potential improvements that the Knicks can make over the next couple of years in terms of their individual players. Yeah, and this could be a multi-part episode. How else could we start, though, than with R.J. Barrett? That's where we get into first, followed by some talk about the Knicks' big men and what skills they should be looking to add to you know improve themselves and the team. And we get into some about Julius Randle shooting in this first part of our biggest improvements the Knicks need to make episode. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up and tucks left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I am Gavin Shaw, a play-by-play broadcaster. He is Alex Wolf, editor-in-chief of The Strickland. We are now available on all platforms, including on YouTube. And we, we don't just have one amazing guest today. We have two amazing guests today because uh, they were they were willing to come on on very short notice, which was incredibly nice of them. Uh, we are joined by, of course, Prez at Presidente on Twitter. Uh, he is the host of Draft Strickland and also the co-host uh, with, with our guy Schwinnie Poo of Pod Strickland's on Fridays, which you want me to clarify is on Patreon. And only for the, did you say only for the one percenters, Prez? Can, can the five percenters get in on that? No, no broke boys allowed. All right, all right, that's that's a good rule. It's an incredible <laughs> pot, so only for the best. And, of course, speaking of only for the best, Benji Ritholtz, a contributor at the Strickland, and as of recently, Nick's Film School as well, where he does uh, incredible threads, I believe, on, a, on an everyday basis now, um, and uh, quite a few appearances on the Nick's Film School podcast. So, Benji, you're all over the place these days. Yeah, doing my best to uh, spam people's inboxes and Twitter feeds. So, people glad to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. People love people love the spamming. Uh, Benji, we're going to start with you because this was your idea. I introduced it a little bit in the tease, but the concept of what we are doing here is the three most important or or intriguing. There's there's some wiggle room uh, skill improvements we'd like to see for Knicks over the next couple of years. So, Benji, the floor is yours. What is the number one skill improvement uh, that you would like to see from any Nick over the next couple of seasons? I'm going to go with the most important player. So that's R.J. Barrett. Um, and I'm going to go, I think you can go a couple of ways with what the most important improvement is. Um, I am going to start with playmaking. Uh, RJ is playmaker and uh, whether he can translate this rim barrage of late, uh, he's in the paint as much as any, any wing in the league. Um, whether he can turn more of that into good looks for others, um, I think is a, Massive step, massive development for the Knicks moving forward. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, you know, it's I think that's something that we've seen right out of RJ ever since his rookie year. I think I think his playmaking has always been that surprise skill that we weren't quite sure was there, you know, until we started seeing it. And 
you know, I can still remember to this day, like the the moment when my eyes opened to potential RJ playmaking, which was like, I think it was like his first or second game of his rookie year. And he was like getting, a, chasing a ball that was going out of bounds and whipped a pass around the guy on the sideline to Julius Randle, who broke out uh, in transition for a dunk. Like ever since then, I've always wondered like, oh, what can this guy be as a playmaker? And I think that he's been showing lately, you know, it, we're starting to see sort of that that Nash dribble come out of him, just like it is with Quickly, too. And I wonder if that's becoming an emphasis, maybe with Johnny Bryant, um, who's like sort of the guards and wings coach, uh, of emphasizing that in practice and, and you know, trying to get these guys to implement that uh, on the court. Because, like, he's RJ's been doing it and Quickly's been doing it, and there, there hasn't been too many other players that are really working that skill that much, but that ability to sort of, break down the defense, get to the baseline and look for a pass. And if you don't have, you know, your center or whatever cutting in to, you know, get an easy dunk. And then if you start wrapping around and you don't see, you know, someone in the corner wide open, then you have the ability to just quickly bring it all the way back out, start something new real quick, or just find another player that has opened up during the process of you going back out to the three-point line. But doing that quickly, you know, I think that RJ has, we now see, as you said, he's been a demon getting to the, uh, getting to the cup at this point, especially lately. And, you know, now we'll see if he has the ability to sort of start translating that, not just into uh, all these opportunities for him to either score or to draw free throws or both, but to also play make for his teammates. But I don't think it's a coincidence, you know, as he's been, you know, sort of surging here, scoring uh, via getting to the rim, we're starting to see him hit some of his higher assist totals in his career sustained over multiple games. Uh, so I, I think that we're we're well on our way there. But uh, Prez, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Uh, what do you think about RJ's playmaking and, and it's important for the Knicks going forward? I mean, I think y'all said it. The only thing I really have to add is I've always thought that he's a much better playmaker outside in than inside out. And, you know, some of his best passes come from like him getting a screen and then like one dribble or one step inside the three-point line, firing a dart to the weak side or something. But you don't really see that much in the way of driving kicks or, you know, occasionally you'll see a drop-off. And of course he can do alley-oops well, but like you don't really see... It's easy for him to get tunnel vision once he's like, all right, it's go time. And y'all gonna have to deal with it. The one exception is 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 alley oops, really. So the more he can specifically leverage that that driving to have some inside out vision, uh, I, I think it'd be great because we know he has the the passes from the outside. Yeah, I mean, I think I think to Prez's point, like that, that's why even the Nets game intrigued me so much because I thought we saw a little bit of an expansion of that. Like he had that that one play where he he sort of. I can't remember if it was in transition or in the half court, but he got by his man and just like slipped a little like hook pass to Mitch under the basket. To Alex's point, it was, it was sort of a Nash dribble. Like he was halfway under the backboard, had another one where he had a Julius style pass where he, he just drove like full head of steam, never looking back. And then last second kind of flipped his body and threw it back out to the three point line. I think he has that kind of, I mean, basketball IQ and to some extent the intuition to add those types of passes it's just about repping it over and over again. And that's what you see from, I mean, so many of the great fulcrums in the NBA. I mean, part part of the, the brilliance of someone like Luka Doncic coming into the NBA, I think, was that he got like 
all, all these reps, especially as a rookie in Dallas, even more so than he did in Europe, like like getting into the lane and doing these things over and over and over again and getting to expand that passing repertoire. And I think to Benji's point, like the volume we're seeing from RJ, you should see some rapid growth along with that. Like I, another name I throw out there is Jason Tatum, someone who came along first as a scorer, obviously a much more dynamic one than RJ currently is, but has slowly but surely learned how to leverage that into a much better passer and a much more complete player. Uh, Benji, I'll throw this back to you. My, my number one skill development was also about RJ and it was about his finishing. He's at 57% at the rim this season. Uh, I was looking up real quick. Not really a, a meaningful comparison just because this guy played so much less um, at the same age, but Jimmy Butler as a rookie at 22, a little bit older than RJ, was right at the same number. He's now up to 67%. Obviously, that that's always sort of been the ceiling comp for RJ. But the question I've always had about that, and I think Benji and Prez, you guys are probably two of the best people to answer this, like how much of finishing is innate, like just having that touch versus like the ability to just work on like different skills and different types of finishes versus just physical improvement as you get older and literally just being stronger around the rim. Do you see that as an area where there can be significant improvement or do you think there's a fairly capped ceiling on, on how good he can be around the rim? Because to me, that's the difference between RJ being a very good player versus uh, a mega star that we're all hoping he eventually becomes. Yeah, I'll say uh, I, I, two things. I think Improvement in finishing doesn't have to mean that you become a better finisher counterintuitively. It could mean that more of your finishes send you to the foul line. So that especially difficult finishes, if you're getting fouled under difficult finishes, that means you're taking less difficult shots and it means that you're translating that into efficient points at the line, hopefully, although RJ's free throw shooting needs work. Um, and, and I do think we've seen that over the stretch is that RJ's getting to the line more and more and that's going to make him an efficient player, even it, or a more efficient player, even if the finishing doesn't substantially improve. And the second thing is, and, and the reason I chose playmaking over finishing is a lot of the issue right now with RJ, I think is shot selection. It's not just the shot making. Um, when he gets that step going downhill to his left, he's almost programmed to try a scoop left shot over any rim protector now, a lot of that translates into Mitch putbacks because the center commits and then Mitch cleans up the rest, um, which is good offense in some way. But I think RJ kind of learning to reallocate some of those difficult rim finishes into free throws and into passes um, will make him also a more efficient player at the rim. Uh, and then as to whether or not you can improve from an actual finishing standpoint, the answer is absolutely yes. And I think... RJ's learning to vary it a little bit more. We've seen a lot more finishes go into his right recently, which I've been really encouraged by. And I think in some ways he's a better finisher with his right because I think he elevates and and actually requires some craft. He's like so programmed with that left finish to do the same thing every time. And that doesn't always work, especially against really good rim protectors. Um, and I think learning, you know, different kinds of ways to utilize your two steps, uh, learning to shift directions with your two steps, uh, as opposed to that kind of straight line to your left drive that he's so accustomed to will will improve his finishing absolutely. So I, I have pretty high hopes. I think it's gonna get there with a little bit of a a little bit of a reallocation of the shot taking and then with a little bit more variance in the in the finishing. All right, guys, we're going to get into more R.J. Barrett conversation in just a sec. But first, I want to tell everyone about BetOnline.net. It's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. And they have some great lines for the first four uh, coming up on Thursday night, uh, Michigan two and a half 
point favorites over Colorado State. I'm riding with Michigan. There's still a lot of talent on that roster. Same with Memphis over Boise State. Boise State, really tall team, but Memphis has a lot of athleticism. Jalen Duran around the rim. I, I think they're going to come out and get that victory. So from all the latest odds, contests, and player props, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. It's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting sport wagering information, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. I'll add one boring thing to that. His still doesn't have good spacing. <laughs> he Absolutely. played most of the year. Two bigs who can't shoot. RJ, I mean, Julius has got it going a little bit in the last like week and change, but there's always a delay between someone getting it going and defenses respecting that. Um, so it's going to take more than, you know, two weeks for him to get some spacing. I checked on B-Ball Index and his lineup spacing this year was 12th percentile. So uh, that's an F. That's more than an F and uh, just like passable shooting from the four spot, not even a stretch five, just whether it's Julius and someone else, Julius and OB, neither of them. I don't care whoever it is at the four, like that's going to get him that alone, I think would get him to 60% at the rim, which is honestly with his volume, like perfectly adequate to me. Yeah. And just, and just to add to that, Prez uh, and like, one of the reasons I think he, so many of his drives end up in kind of like downhill, just two-step lefty finishes is because the right side of the floor is taken. Like Mitch is rolling right down there every single time. And again, it translates to some good offense because you get the alley-oops and you get the, the, the offensive rebounds. But like imagine if he actually has both sides of the floor to play with on a drive, uh, which he doesn't always have. So I absolutely agree. Yeah, I'm screams, cough, cough. Yeah, that's <laughs> I'm actually curious, guys. What do you think about? Um, and I'll, I'll throw it to you, Press first, and then you know Benji can you can respond after. Like, what do you guys think about the the conundrum as far as that spacing is concerned? Obviously, I mean, we've said this a number of times on the show here that we think that you know RJ has probably started flourishing in spite of one of the more difficult development environments since he's entered the league. You know, the spacing has been terrible. You can pretty much look every single year. The spacing is always terrible for the Knicks. You know, even last year when they had so many good three-point shooters, it still was, you know, the spacing was still grading out as not super great uh, based off how they were playing and everything else. Um, so do you think that for the Knicks to take the next step that they need to add a, uh, you know, a more stretchy big than a Mitchell Robinson or a Jericho Sims type of player that, you know, is more focused on finishing in the paint and, you know, dunks and rebounds and that sort of thing. And, you know, not able to stretch the floor at all, even really out to mid range, which I think would be helpful. Uh, or do you think that maybe just with a different coach with a, you know, an offensive coordinator, so to speak, uh, you know, so, someone who's more offensively minded than Tibbs, that they might be able to sort of address that uh, just via scheme and everything and, and create better spacing, even with someone like a Mitchell Robinson, as we saw with, you know, some other teams in the league, like, I mean, Houston used to be spaced pretty well, despite having Clint Capella and, you know, the Hawks have been spaced pretty well, despite having Clint Capella as well. I guess this all kind of comes back to Clint Capella Utah. Uh, or Utah, Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Um, Prez, I'll throw that to you first. What do you think about the, the center conundrum going forward and how that affects RJ and his ability to get better as a playmate or sorry, as a, as a finisher? I don't think there's any center conundrum. I think there's a power forward conundrum. I don't think 
I, I think one one thing that like irrationally gets me furious on Twitter is when people are like, oh, we need it. Not saying you're like pushing this agenda right now, but like, oh, how could we do anything without a stretch five? Bro, like most of the teams in the NBA don't have a real stretch five. There's like three real stretch fives in the NBA. The problem is when you have guys at one through four who don't shoot. And that's why to me, this is one of the few things that there's not a scheme thing. There's not a Tibbs thing not a center thing you just need julius to shoot like you can't be a power forward and not shoot like that's that's really what it comes down to unless you're really ridiculously good at other stuff like sabonis or something and even he like you do have to account for his not shooting so like really julius and obi just got to shoot like I, well wait wait prez real quick isn't that that's that's one of your uh three skill developments right yeah, that's my number one thing. All right, so here you go, go into it right now. Yeah, there you go. This is why you're this is why you're the host right here. So like, <laughs> <laughs> Julius shooting is my number one, and it's been really heartening. You know, like I, he's still been uneven in terms of knowing what's going on and effort and all that stuff. The last like week and change, but if he can end the year just shooting like passably how he has, that's a big deal for me. Um, I don't. You know, I don't like the idea of trading low and we've seen him shoot well last year. I don't think you can shoot quite as well as he did totally flukishly. Not saying he's going to do that again, but like there's no way it'd just be really hard for me to believe he's a total non-shooter like he has been this year. So I hope he can end this year shooting decently and then pick up, you know, put in some work in the offseason and pick up where he left off and, you know, not be scorching next year, but just be respectable. Stretch the defense from the four spot because without that, like, it it really, I don't want to say it doesn't matter what else you do, but it's, the bar just becomes so much higher if you're a four who's not a reliable floor stretcher. You're talking about guys like Giannis or Pascal Siakam who don't shoot that well from three, but literally do every single thing every single other thing at a ridiculous level like they're all better defenders than julius more athletic than julius better playmakers than julius better finishers than julius so like even if he's averaging 20 10 and 5 in terms of actual impact on the court it's it's tough without the shooting so that's my number one yeah and i think i mean it's an even bigger thing right because we're the whole first part of this podcast has been how can we turn RJ Barrett into a fulcrum? And and the answer, as you guys noted, is like so much of it is like, can Julius hit shots? Because Julius, like he, he loses value without the basketball if he's not a high level shooter. And like the whole first half of the year was the Knicks to some extent, I think trying to compensate for that shot going away and saying, all right, if he's not going to shoot well, he better have the ball because then at least you have like RJ and Kemba and Fournier spacing for him versus RJ with the ball where there's definitively two non-spacers on the court. And that offense just doesn't work. And we're, we're clearly transitioning to, I think no matter how good Julius is or like if he can get back to his uh, all second team, all NBA heights, like RJ, RJ is the guy going forward. Right. And, and if RJ is the guy, I think you have to build your future around, all right, can he have at least three good shooters on the floor? And if he doesn't, that's when, like, I almost have to throw my hands up and say, like, all right, they maybe they will need to sell low on Julius and maybe they won't get equal value back. But that's okay because he's he's not really the priority anymore. But, Benji, I'll, I'll, I'll throw that back to you. What's what's your take on, like, how the Knicks should handle? Like, I, I know that's a, that's a much bigger question of how the Knicks should handle Randall. But what – oh, that rhymed. What, what, what's the game plan, I guess, going into next season, uh, given that, again, like for most of his career, he has not been a good shooter, but we do have that one 
outlandish sample size year of him being pretty amazing. Yeah, I think, you know, it kind of speaks to the stretch five points as well. I think if Julius is here and he, you don't want to have to build around Julius if Julius can't shoot because <laughs> he's not worth it, right? And like, you don't want to start having to answer questions that you shouldn't have to ask. So like a stretch five would be like a fix to Julius not being able to shoot or and or Obi. And then you can kind of let them be the primary screeners and space the floor around that. And that works. I think that's a good idea. Um, the question is like, who a player is that? As Prez mentioned, there just aren't a lot of them that can actually anchor a defense and shoot threes. There's like very, very, very few. Um, and so I, I, it might be the wrong question to ask, even though theoretically I do think it's a good idea. For RJ, too, because even if Julius can I mean, the more spacing you can create around RJ, I think the better. Um, but being more realistic about the center position, and, and we do have some good options there, right, whether it's Mitch being re-signed, whether it's Jericho emerging. Um, like, I think Julius being able to shoot is is paramount. And it's, uh, you know, he, he as Prez kind of alluded to, it's not that he just made 41% of his threes last year. He made 41% of his threes last year on a ridiculously difficult shot diet from three. Like, we're not just talking about a guy who was, who was catching and shooting quarter threes. Um, and the drop-off has been so extreme, and you're hoping that he can settle at around 37, 38. That's all we're asking. He's down to, what, 32% this year, 33%. It was 41 last year. So if we can just talk about like a 37% three-point shooter, 38.3% you know, three-point shooter, uh, that kind of that reframes the whole floor for the Knicks next year. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I think it, if it's not RJ's growth in, in one of the departments that we talked about, I absolutely agree that Julius refinding that stroke is – the most important uh, non-RJ development that the Knicks can see going forward. Yeah, I think we even we even sort of alluded to that on here the other day. You know, just even I think I'd even said you know even if Julius can reach that like fake good three point shooter mark, you know, of like thirty four to thirty six percent, you know, something like what Porzingis makes, for example, you know, like that's I mean Porzingis has a rep as a shooter, but realistically he makes about 34 to 36% of his threes on a, on a pretty high diet of them for better or worse. You know, sometimes that doesn't pay off super well, but he's generally respected as a shooter. Like he's going to draw attention on the perimeter. And if Julius could get back to that general level, which I think we're starting to see him sort of get back there now, like I wouldn't be surprised if he keeps shooting the way that he has been, if he can get to like 33 and a half percent by the end of the year or something like that, and then the real challenge is just having it so that it's not so streaky. So it's not, you know, 50% for a third of the season and, you know, 28% for the other part of it, you know, and, and that's, that's going to be the real trick for him is finding a consistent 34 to 36%. I think then he might be in better shape. All right. We'll be right back in talking about the Knicks big men and the skills that they need to improve upon to make themselves and the Knicks better. But this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. If you need to make your car, better you that's the place to go you got to go to rockauto.com your biggest improvement in your car right now could come from rockauto.com and you know the drill guys there's so many different makes and models of cars out there it's impossible for one store to stock all those parts in just a simple brick and mortar storefront you know no matter what you're going to be ordering even if you go to a store from a warehouse where they're going to get it probably shipped to their store and you're going to have to go back to the store go pick it up on top of it, you're going to pay a ton of money. You know, they're going to charge you for the, the, 
part that makes them the most money, gets them the biggest commission, and also charge you more than they would charge mechanics because they give them special deals that they don't give to people off the street. That's why you should be going to rockauto.com. Why would you want to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more on a part from a chain auto parts store when you could just go to Rock Auto and get it from there right to your door? On top of it, Rock Auto is a family business. They've been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. So you know they have your best interests in mind, and they're going to make sure that you have a pleasant experience, get the part that you need, and get it for the lowest price no matter if you're a mechanic or if you're just someone like me who goes on YouTube and learns how to do things on his car, goes out on a warm spring day, and and you know takes it into his own hands and figures it out. So if you want to check it out, go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And if you decide to get something right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. You mentioned uh, some of the center options that the Knicks have available to them. Uh, and one of them, of course, is Mitchell Robinson, if they decide to resign him. Uh, I, I have this little bit of a fear. I chose this as my first you know, thing for the Knicks, and I didn't put them in any, any you know, order necessarily. I kind of just threw three things out there. I, I have this fear, though, that this is sort of like if we would have done the show last year and I would have been like, Frank Nilakina really needs to work on this, that, or the other. Um, and ultimately, it would be nothing. You know, nobody would care because he ends up leaving anyway. So this is, of course, contingent on the Knicks actually wanting to re-sign Mitchell Robinson and do some measure of building with him, you know, on his game and, you know, influencing how he, he plays or whatever. But I think that Mitch should attempt to develop a bit of a post-game. Um Right now, his game is essentially catch ball, dunk ball, or catch ball, maybe, you know, make a, a layup within five feet. You know, it's it's nothing. He doesn't even really shoot anything that could be considered not just like a point blank layup right now uh, or point blank dunk. So I think even just the ability to like take one dribble, a little pivot and a baby hook would be like insanely valuable for him and i think it's super attainable because he has the length the strength and everything else that he needs to make that happen uh, i looked up the numbers from nba stats and he is in the 13th percentile uh in post-up scoring on the team which actually <laughs> ranks slightly above julius randall which i guess maybe we could say send julius there too um you know but i think i think it would be really like at 0.69 points per possession that's not great for a center that shoots as well as Mitch does overall, where he's like a 70% field goal percentage guy. I think that realistically he could probably add something like that with like one Hakeem Olajuwon training camp, you know, like just take like three weeks of your life, go see Hakeem every day, learn how to, how to pivot, how to do a quick little ball fake over your shoulders, something like that. And, you know, just learn how to take a little baby hook. And Mitch is so big that I, I think that he'd be able to hit that over, 85% of the players you would play against without much issue, you know, you'd really have to start getting into the, like the miles turners, the Rudy Gobert's of the world, the guys that are so long that they can meet him at his apex and really defend that baby hook. Well, where, you know, it would start to become an issue at all. But otherwise I think that, you know, even against like some of the more formidable guys in the league, like a bam out of bio or something like that, that would be a weapon. You know, he could use that anytime he wants. We even see Taj Gibson bust out a baby hook from time to time. And he's like six foot nine, you know, and he does that against guys much bigger than him. And it's an effective weapon that's been, you know, a staple of centers in the NBA for years and years and years. 
and we haven't really seen anything like that come out of come out of Mitch just yet. Um, but yeah, I think that would be my that would be my plan. Just get Mitch with like a Hakeem or someone like him, you know, someone who can teach that sort of skill and get him to develop that. But uh, uh, I guess I'll throw that to you, Gavin. I think it's been a minute since you've been on. Uh, what do you think about the? You know, do you think that that would do a little bit in at least solving some of the Knicks' scoring concerns with? at least having Mitch be available as a, a quick dump off option in the middle. So they don't have to create a specific action to open them up for a dunk or an easy layup. Yeah. So I think it's interesting, right? Cause there, there are just so few post guys who are efficient enough to justify post up possessions in the NBA these days. Like you, you could almost, you can count them on like one and a half hands. Uh, but that being said, I, I do think it's a good, like, late shot clock option for the Knicks. And just in general, I mean, one of the biggest issues with Mitch, like not even expanding his offensive game, but having a little bit more production is how reticent like everyone on the team is to throw him the basketball and anything outside of a lob. Like um, I think I'm trying to, I think it was Bruce Brown on him and Mitch just had him pinned and Julius Randle just sort of stared and stared and then threw it somewhere else uh, uh, late in that, uh, in that Nets game. He said, he said, no, Mitch, no, it's okay. We don't, we don't need you getting a dunk right now. Um, but well, let, me, let me take a long pull up too. Uh, but I, I think just him having a little bit more skill in that capacity would be beneficial just in that guys would be more willing to throw in the basketball, just knowing to your point, Alex, like doesn't have to be a dream shake could literally be like a catch reverse pivot, dunk it. And, and with how talented of an offensive rebounder he is, I think that's pretty interesting that he can create second chance opportunities for himself against a lot of guys on certain nights. But I want to, I want to redirect this over to Prez because Prez, I think your third skill it was just a general expansion of the Nick center skill sets uh, beyond basically catching and dunking the basketball. So were you thinking post-up moves specifically, or, or was this sort of a more wide ranging idea? So a little more wide ranging. It was basically, I think the Nick centers need to be able to do things other than dunk and rebound without even getting to shooting and stretching the floor. I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of ways to be useful in an offense without that. Like, we saw one play versus the Nets where Jericho caught the ball, took a power dribble. Benji tweeted it out and then went up with it. Like, Mitch, too, his center of gravity is like eight feet high, so he can't really do that. But Jericho can. And, you know, if we get other centers, they can. Taj does it all the time. Julius does it. Like, stuff like that. Or, you know, in, in Mitch's case, I can't even imagine him doing like a baby hook because he's too long. But I can't imagine him just taking like a like a jab step and then doing a one dribble and then dunking on somebody because he's so long. And all you really do need to do is get like within six feet of the hoop for the jump, and then he's in layup or dunk range. Um, so those kind of moves. And then the other thing I, I wanted to highlight that just leapt off the screen in the Nets game is just screening screening craft. Mitch is so terrible at it. Like he slips every screen and sometimes he doesn't even set a screen and he just kind of meanders. That's the best way to describe it. Um, he never like for the low bar of setting a screen that makes contact is hard enough for him. Forget setting one screen and then reversing it or setting one screen and then setting a back screen, let alone a third screen or screening somebody else's man entirely after you start a slow short roll because he really only has like one speed of his role. So it, it, there's just so much nuance to the screening and rolling that he doesn't have. And he's been able to get by because he's huge. And even now he's still pretty athletic. And obviously before he gained weight, he was 
99th percentile athlete. It's got, it kind of has hidden a lot of his weaknesses beyond just, Oh, like he doesn't have a bag and he can't shoot blah, blah, blah. Like there's a lot more than that. And Jericho Sims was doing all that stuff. And that's without even Jericho doing other stuff that he's capable of that we saw in college and preseason, which is shooting floaters. He's really good at it. Like, give me that stuff next year. <laughs> if, if there's another coach who lets their centers mess around or something. Yeah. 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 I, I, oh, I, I was just going to throw it to Benji. What, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts on that? Yeah. The, the fact that there's no, um, and I agree with all that. And the fact that there's no finish variation with Mitch, it's like two hand dunk and occasional tip in with one hand. But like, even the fact that he can't <laughs> like go reverse one hand finishes, like, it just limits where you can get him the ball and where he can score. Like, yeah, he's a great finisher at the rim, literally at the rim. But, and the, like, I wish he didn't have a 70% field goal percentage. Like, I wish it was lower and there was just more that he could do, where like he was taking shots that he could miss. Um, but he doesn't take them for a reason. And like, you watch, this is a very extreme example because he's on the other end of the spectrum, but like, you watch a, a DeAndre Eaton. And the way it opens up their offense that he can catch anywhere, forget about his forget about his mid-range jumper, which he can make, but like anywhere within like a seven, eight foot circle. And whether it's a seal when they switch a pick and roll or it's a duck in the you know, a little cut into the middle, whatever it is, we're like, oh, that's just the easy two points that they can get anytime, manufactured out of nothing. And like the only way Mitch manufactures points out of nothing is on offensive rebounds. There's nothing within the flow of an offense. Um, so that hurts. And yeah, with Jericho, like uh, it's so early and I you haven't seen enough from him in the NBA. Like I think, you know, I, I obviously Prez knows better than most that he's got a little bit more to his game. And that's just also a matter, I think, of empowering him to take those shots, allowing him to take those shots. I don't know how patient Tibbs is with, with those kinds of things. Um, but you do want to see it because, you know, any any angle you can create, any, any space you can create as being a threat on the floor uh, helps a lot. And I think – it's you watch we've watched Mitch so much that we're kind of used to like this is how centers can score but it's there's so much more out there that that would help the uh, will help kind of grease the wheels of the offense yeah. we often hear about like that Mitch hasn't played with a really good a you know solidly above average passing point guard and that's true but it takes two to dance when you're talking about pick and roll and like Short of Chris Paul, if you put another good passer with him, you know, it, it could be pick your guy. It could be Jalen Brunson. It could be quickly. It could be whoever. Like, without the screen craft, it's still going to be hard on plays that are not alley-oops. Like, that's what it comes down to. Like, he dumping off to him, unless you place it in his hands, it's, you know, he's not Nerlens, but there's just, like, like Benji said, there's not a lot of variety in the screening and the finishing, so... That means if you're a defender, you pretty much know what you have to look out for. Yeah, maybe we just need to send Mitch, and, and to a lesser extent, Sims, but Mitch to someone that just teaches him how to set a brick wall screen because um, that would also help things quite a bit if he was, if he was able to set those, those better screens and uh, then you know create those advantages better that way. I'm pretty sure Coach Kenny Payne is not pleased with his screen. Like, I've, this guy's a big – this is another thing, and, and this is the last part of my rant. Like, I – Kenny Payne is a renowned big man coach. He coached all these dude, all these bigs who came out of Kentucky. Like, 
the guy, I'm sure he's mentioned it to Mitch more than a couple of times. I'm sure Tibbs has too. Like, this has been a couple of years now. Like, we're not at this, isn't asking him to, like, you know, turn into Allen Iverson here. This is just do a cup, like, set a screen, occasionally flip the screen. That's it. Like, I'd be if he flips five screens in the next game, I'm gonna post highlights like it's a 50 point game. <laughs> All right, guys, on that note, we're going to wrap up this edition of the Locked on Knicks podcast. But there will not just be one more part of this podcast. There will be two more parts of this podcast. Next time with Benji and Prez, we're going to get into uh, one of my biggest improvements, Quentin Grimes, uh, his playmaking off of closeouts, his ability to finish at the rim, hit a mid-range, make passes. Just how good does he have to get at that to significantly change the Knicks' trajectory going forward? And then we talk Emmanuel quickly, his ability to get all the way to the rim and finish there on top of adding a whole lot of other skills to his game. So all that and more next time on Locked on Knicks. But for now, he's Alex. I'm Gavin. Please, please, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and check us out on YouTube. Be good. Peace out.